Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. An Erio's original. I was born with a special gift. The ability to mentally transform any situation into the worst case scenario in my own brain. My therapist calls my gift catastrophizing. And that's why I'm uniquely qualified to scrutinize and analyze history's greatest disasters and find out who's to blame. They say history repeats itself. Not on my watch. My name is Rebecca Delgado-Smith, and I am The Alarmist. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to The Alarmist, a comedy podcast where we talk about history's greatest disasters and figure out who's to blame. Today we'll be discussing the execution of the Romanovs. Now there's a lot to cover, so let's get started. Here's what you need to know. The rule of the Romanov family over Russia began in 1613 with the appointment of Mikhail Romanov. His appointment marked the end of a 15-year period of war and uncertainty that Russia referred to as the Time of Troubles, or Shmuta in Russian. The Romanov lineage continued to rule Russia for the next 300 years until the appointment of Tsar Nicholas II in 1894, following the death of his father, Tsar Alexander III. Nicholas was just 26 when he came to power and, by all reports, was wholly unprepared for his role as leader of Russia. The decades leading up to his appointment were not without its own set of turbulence. Nicholas's grandfather, Alexander II, was killed on the streets of St. Petersburg by terrorists working to overthrow a long Tsarist rule over Russia. 
This same group, the People's Will, later morphed into the Bolshevik revolutionaries that were eventually responsible for the overthrowing and death of Nicholas II and his family. Nicholas II, the last Romanov in the dynasty to rule Russia, was seen as a weak and ineffective leader. The rest of Europe was leaving autocratic rule behind at the turn of the century, while Russia had been ruled by the Romanovs for hundreds of years with no end in sight. Not to mention the fact that Nicholas himself seemed overwhelmed by the prospect. When he assumed the throne, he is said to have asked his advisors, What is going to happen to me, to all of Russia? I am not prepared to be czar. I never even wanted to become one. In 1884, Nicholas had met his future wife, Alexandra, at her sister's wedding reception. She was the daughter of German and British royalty, something that would later taint her in the eyes of the people of Russia, who came to view her as an outsider. Their courtship lasted 10 years due to Nicholas's family's disapproval of the relationship. Nicholas's persistence paid off. The couple was engaged by the summer of 1894. Unfortunately, coinciding with the engagement was the sudden illness of Nicholas's father, Alexander III. He later died on November 1, 1894, at the age of 49. Nicholas and Alexandra were married on November 26, 1894, mere weeks after the death. Another event in Nicholas's life that was considered a bad omen occurred on the eve of their coronation in 1896. Nicholas and Alexandra organized food and drink for public parties marking the occasion. During what became known as the Kadinka tragedy, almost 1,500 partygoers were killed in a massive stampede, following a rumor that there wasn't enough food to go around. To make matters worse, the couple still attended a ball in their honor later that evening. The stampede was a sign of more troubles to come. In the following years, discontent grew and deepened between the Russian public and the royal family. The Tsar and Tsarina were seen as insular, only allowing few advisors into their inner circle who could influence them politically. One such advisor was the infamous Rasputin, who was given inner circle access after he appeared to save the life of Nicholas's son and to-be successor, Alexei from Hemophilia. Nicholas also led Russia into two failed wars during his Tsarship, including one with Japan as well as World War I. The discontent of the people could not be contained, and on March 15, 1917, just over 22 years after his coronation, Nicholas abdicated from the throne, ending the Romanov dynasty over Russia. But the dynasty and all that it stood for remained alive as long as the Romanov family were living. The Russian government was in turmoil with internal battles between the provisional government and the uprising of the Bolsheviks. The Romanov family was shuttled between safe houses. The new country heads unsure what to do with them, this hugely symbolic image of Russia's past. Following Nicholas's abdication, himself, his wife Alexandra, and his five children, Olya, Tatiana, Maria, Anastasia, and Alexei, were placed under house arrest at the Alexander Palace south of St. Petersburg. Their condition deteriorated as the provisional government considered what to do with them. In August of 1917, the family was moved to a town in Siberia. Then, in November of 1917, the Bolshevik Revolution began, led by Vladimir Lenin. The Bolsheviks took control of the government. 
They were more hostile towards the Romanovs, expelling their helpers and restricting their food intake to army rations. In the spring of 1918, the Romanovs were moved by the Bolsheviks to what would be their final home, a building called the House of Special Purpose in Ekaterinburg. July 17, 1918, was the eve of their execution. The family was woken and told that counter-revolutionary troops were approaching and they had to move into the basement for their own safety. Once in the basement, troops led by Yakov Yarovsky informed the family that they would be executed. According to the book The Last Days of the Romanovs, Tragedy at Ekaterinburg by Helen Rappaport, Yarovsky read the following statement to the Romanovs. In view of the fact that your relatives in Europe continue their assault on Soviet Russia, the presidium of the Ural Regional Soviet has sentenced you to be shot. Nicholas apparently responded with the word, What? The troops opened fire on the family, killing Nicholas and Alexandra, Some of the children were apparently still breathing after the hail of gunfire. They were stabbed with bayonets and shot point-blank until all were dead. The family was buried in two unmarked graves off the side of the road. This marked the end of the Romanov dynasty. Fun Facts, a.k.a. Death Stats The first grave wasn't rediscovered until 1979 and only dug up in 1991 after the collapse of communism. The second grave was rediscovered in 2007. The remains have since been relocated to Peter and Paul Cathedral in St. Petersburg. One daughter, Anastasia, was rumored to have survived the massacre. According to History.com, the remains of Nicholas, Alexandra, and three of their children were excavated in 1991 and positively identified two years later using DNA fingerprinting. The Crown Prince Alexei and one Romanov daughter were not accounted for, fueling the persistent legend that Anastasia, the youngest Romanov daughter, had survived the execution of her family. Of the several Anastasias that surfaced in Europe in the decade after the Russian Revolution, Anna Anderson, who died in the United States in 1984, was the most convincing. In 1994, however, scientists used DNA to prove that Anna Anderson was not the Tsar's daughter, but a Polish woman named Franciska Czenskowska. There were 11 assassins for the 11 people who were killed that day. It is believed that the assassins were drunk, and none of them wanted to shoot the children, so they shot the Tsar and the Serena first. The Romanovs had 18 emperors on the Russian throne. Four out of the 18 were assassinated. Today with us, we have producer Amanda. Uh, Anastasia is my favorite non-Disney Disney movie, so I'm excited Perfect. for today's discussion. Oh. That's wonderful. Uh, We also have fact checker Chris. Hi. I don't have a fun fact. Just me. (laughs) And our special guest today is Kate Casey, host of Reality Life with Kate Casey. Hi. Glad to be here. How good would a reality show of the Romanovs be? Oh, my God. 
So, <laughs> so good. She Maybe one could say she was the original Real Housewife of Russia, right? Ooh. Oh, wow. Yeah. They had like a real crew. It really felt like they were a solid crew. It does have a Kardashian vibe. Oh, yes. Yes. So I think that we should get started by kind of talking about the actual execution, which is very terrible and tragic. So just uh, a bit of a warning to our our listeners out there. So there's an article on Town and Country that came out. And it says, early on the the July morning, the bleary eyed Romanovs and their loyal retainers stood in the cellars as the heavily armed murder squad filled into the room. Yurovsky suddenly read out a death sentence. Then the men used their weapons. Each was meant to fire at a different family member, but many of them secretly wished to avoid shooting the girls. Mm. So they all aimed at the loathed Nicholas and Alexandra, killing them almost instantly. The firing was wild. The, ma- the killers managed to wound one another as a room filled with swirling dust and smoke and screams. When the first volley was done, most of the family was still alive, wounded, crying, and terrified. Their suffering made worse by the fact that they were, in effect, wearing bulletproof vests. The Romanovs were famed for their collection of jewelry. During the last months, they had sewn the diamonds into specially made underwear in case they needed to fund an escape. On the night of the execution, the children had put pulled on the secretly bejeweled underwear, which was reinforced with the hardest material in existence. Tragically, ironically, the bullets bounced off these garments. Finally, the murderers waded into the gruesome scene of wounded, bleeding children. One of the killers compared it to a slippery ice rink, a wash with blood and brains. Oh, my gosh. God, Rebecca. Uh, of all the, you know, royal executions um, that we've covered and, you know, just especially because it involves children. Um, and it, it's just why it makes me so angry. Mm-hmm. And they were all so young and had so much to look forward to. And I think that that's the hardest part for people to sort of understand is that they were part of this incredible royal family and that no one was able to save them. No one saw this coming or if they did see it coming that they didn't, that they weren't brave enough to step forward and to save them. I think that's the most heartbreaking part But then as you kind of pull back the layers of the story, you do have some empathy for the Bolsheviks because they really were a nation of people that were suffering so deeply, especially when you set the scene of the coronation and how cavalier they were to parade in front of peasants and and to to maintain this, this opulent lifestyle and to just look to your left and to your right and to see people who have nothing to eat and are starving and to continue. Yeah, there was a definitely a lack of self-awareness. Yeah. Like, you, you just want to shake them <laughs> and totally. be like, you guys, what are you doing to yourselves? Well, then also, I think that another part that's at uh, the Tsarina, Alexandra, was so, had her head so stuck in the sand. It's almost like Nancy Reagan, right? Remember Nancy Reagan had the astrologer and she was giving her all the decisions helping her make all these decisions. Alexandra was like the first Nancy Reagan because she would just (laughs) leave it up to this guy Rasputin to tell her what to do. So you have so many elements to the story that are so bizarre. It really is like such a compelling story and it gets the more bizarre, 
the more you learn about them. I couldn't agree with you more. Okay, so I think this is the perfect jumping off point to kind of talk about the family. There's a lot to unpack with the dad, Nicholas II. And here's a little background. So Nicholas was totally unprepared to be ruler as his father, uh, Alexander III, was a larger-than-life figure who apparently undermined Nicholas from an early age, making fun of him and calling him girly. Nicholas was just 26 when he was crowned Tsar. According to the uh, book The Last Days of the Romanovs by Helen Rappaport, as a man of limited political ability and vision, Nicholas had done what came naturally. He had assiduously maintained the autocratic rule of his father whilst blindly resisting all political innovation and condoning the suppression of the empire's turbulent minorities. His stubborn belief in his role as God's anointed representative made him turn a blind eye to increasingly anxious calls for political change. Uh, but Nicholas's unpopularity came to a head in March of 1917. Huge protests swept Russia and hundreds of thousands of protesters took to the streets. Nicholas sent orders to fire on the mobs, but the soldiers refused and some fired on their generals instead. By March 15, Nicholas had abdicated the throne and his palace was overthrown by revolutionary troops. He he just, he didn't have a clue. It's, It's exactly what you were talking about, Kate. Very entitled, like a Rob Kardashian. He just like kind of hangs out. The <laughs> remarkable thing about a lot of these royal families is that they did not receive that much schooling. So like even Queen Elizabeth II, I mean, she actually did not receive much schooling. So um, they learn so much about manners, but did she know any, do, do they know anything about political theory or history of the world? It's very relative, like a small amount of information. So you talk, you talk about somebody who has lived this insane lifestyle who presumably has absolutely no clue really how people live in the world and a very limited uh, perspective on world politics, leadership, etc. This was way over his head. And I suspect if I were an armchair psychologist, which I believe I am, <laughs> there's probably a little bit of PTSD after his father passes away and then he takes over. And they also had quite a bit of problems with fertility. She had tried many times to have a boy and was unsuccessful. So I suspect that she was probably also dealing with horrible postpartum. I I think let's go ahead and put Nicholas II up on the board. And I also want to talk about Alexandra because I think that she also has um, a lot of culpability. For the record, some of these reasons why people think that she was to blame for uh, their their tragic end. I don't know if I agree with them all being her fault per se, but th- this is kind of a list of what they are. So they uh, married so shortly, just weeks after the death of Nicholas's father. The public viewed this unfavorably. Now, of course, this was more on Nicholas because the wedding was scheduled for the summer of 1895, but he insisted that they get married sooner after his father died. So that was one. Uh, two, the fact that Alexandra's mother-in-law was still alive. She was a popular figure, and her replacement by the new Serena was looked down upon by the public. Um, again, this was kind of more Nicholas for not setting boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> um, but then there was the 
Katanika tragedy. In honor of their coronation, Nicholas and Alexandra organized food and drink for public parties, marking the occasion. It ended in a disaster. 1,500 attendees were killed in a crushing after a rumor that there wasn't enough food. And despite the massive tragedy, the couple still attended the ball. Uh, it's said that they didn't want to go, but the, the advisors convinced them to go. But still, they were seen drinking and dancing in public, which was just yeah. And not people, there are dead bodies outside, and thousands of it. And the problem with the food was all of those people were starving, and they put together this sort of like coronation uh, package. And so it was like mass chaos because people had come knowing that there was going to be a little bit of food. Well, she also had this reliance on these faith healers, and she attracted this Rasputin, who was clearly disliked by so many people. Um, according to Smithsonian, Nicholas and Alexandra's fifth child and first son, Alexei, was born in 1904, and he was born with hemophilia. And the Romanovs kept it under wraps. Alexandra, meanwhile, devoted herself to Alexei's care, consulting healers and mystics to keep him healthy. This led to the infamous Rasputin, known as the Mad Monk, for his debauched behavior of drinking and womanizing. Their relationship was so close that rumors began to go around that they were having an affair. Rasputin was let into the Romanovs' inner circle and was perceived by the public as having a strong influence on political affairs. Well, I think for her, part of the, her story too is that she becomes a Tsarina and there was this pressure to be Russian. Like mm -hmm. the, the, she looked at, at, at as this big outsider. And so she has this complex, uh, like control complex about being perfect. And so then she starts to try to have children and she keeps having girls. And there's this overarching message from the other Royals that she needs to create an heir. And she keeps miscarrying and miscarrying and miscarrying. And so she's frustrated and she's it like just triggers all of those, uh, those control issues. So she gets wrapped up in Rasputin because there's something about him that, that is just taken. She's just taken with him. Now this guy's a total sleaze bag and he's sleeping with everyone. <laughs> so it's understandable that people would think that they had some sort of affair because he slept with everyone. In fact, some, in some places of the world and in writings, it almost makes him sound out to be uh, a sexual deviant. deviant. No one wanted uh, the public to know that Alexei was sick. Mm -hmm. So they kept it a secret. And Rasputin was therefore the guy who was taking care of him, but no one could know why he was there. Right. So that then created this confusion mm -hmm. amongst the people around them because they were like, why is this quack <laughs> hanging around them all the time? Yeah. It like, they, it was, it must have been very confusing. And I, I think we need to put Rasputin up on the board. That really, really lowered their reputation in the eyes of the public. Yes. I think we need to talk about World War One. It's important to understand that, you know, this was a war that the Russians were going, uh, were essentially against the Germans. And she was a German. Right. She, her family was German. Yeah, not, not a good time to be a German princess. No. No. <laughs> Not ideal. The, the war was largely viewed as a failure mm -hmm. um, in the end because in 1916, two million Russian soldiers were killed or seriously wounded and a third of the men were taken prisoner. It's estimated that one third of Russia's eight 
able-bodied men were serving in the army. The peasants were therefore unable to work on the farms, producing the usual amount of work. By November 1916, food prices were four times as high as before the war. As a result, strikes for higher wages became common in Russian cities. And in addition, during the war, Nicholas left uh, Russia to help command the army on the front line. And he left his wife, Alexandra, and Rasputin to run the country in his absence, something that did not go over well because she was not well-equipped to rule all of Russia. And especially during this very uh, tense time, I mean, imagine being one of these citizens and seeing Rasputin in charge. You're just like, why would you let this sleaze bag come into the palace and make decisions for us? I mean, can you just imagine how frustrating? Yes, we can because we live in our current world. Um, <laughs> so we have a Rasputin. We have a World War One up on the board. A couple other things were mentioned. Do you guys want yeah. me to put up uh, German roots? Uh, oh. Alexandra's German roots. Yeah, let's throw those German roots up on the board. Okay. We should talk about the uh, Bolshevik Revolution and Lenin. So the the story of, of Vladimir Uyelanov, I'm getting that wrong, but he's obviously he's known as Lenin, shows the power that the Bolshevik Revolution over the had over the country. Lenin's older brother, Alexander, was a Ru- Russian revolutionary who was part of a group that plotted and attempted the assassination of Nicholas's father, Alexander III, to start a peasant uprising. On March 13, 1885, the group unsuccessfully attempted via bomb to assassinate Alexander, but were uncovered by the police. The group, including Lenin's older brother, were sentenced to be hanged. Alexander III said that those who would repent for their action would be spared from hanging, but Lenin's older brother refused to repent. Alexander was hanged in 1887. Now, approximately 20 years later, Lenin is said to have been the one who called for the execution of the Romanovs. Is this, you know, some kind of revenge act? So let's put Lenin first up on the board. And then let's talk about the Bolshevik Revolution, which was led by Lenin. According to Smithsonian Magazine, the term Bolshevism came from the Russian word Bolshinstovo. <laughs> Nailed it. So our listeners in Russia are <laughs> you know one take wonder over their here. eyes so hard. <laughs> so it means all it means majority. So adopted by a splinter faction of Russian revolutionaries advocating for a Marxist inspired uprising for the working class, Lenin was their leader. When Nicholas II abdicated from the throne, it left a power vacuum in his place. So uh, government is then led by the Russian Provisional Government. It was made of former ministers who had served served under the Tsar. The Provisional Government continued much in the same vein as Nicholas II, so there was no way to suppress the growing discontent with the situation. The Provisional Government, in the meantime, had the Romanovs in safekeeping. This all changed during the Second Revolution of 1917, during which the Bolsheviks took power over the country and the government. The peasants, now this must have been a crazy time. Listen to this. Peasants were running over manors in the countryside, burning houses and killing occupants. Russia, which had been ruled by an elite class for hundreds of years, was being taken over by the peasants and the working class. The elite, like the Romanovs, were seen as a symbol of the past, 
which may uh, which many seek to destroy. So hell is breaking loose. Now the Bolsheviks take over the provisional government, and then the Ro- that's when the Romanovs are taken uh, by the Bolshevik secret police and sent to Serbia. It was Yakov Yurovsky. He's the guy who had court coordinated and led the killings he was personally recognized by lenin who was the head of the bolsheviks for the murders but while the country was informed of the czar's assassination the public was left in the dark about the rest of the family's gruesome fate and the location of their bodies until the fall of the soviet union we should definitely put yakov pulled the trigger essentially he definitely why did they not execute them right away and instead of send, like, why did they send them to Serbia? Were they sort of figuring out what to do with them? And it could have gone either way. Yes. The provisional government was trying to figure out a place to put them. So they were trying to send them to other places in Europe, especially England, because they, they had family there. But King George at first said, yes, we'll take them and then immediately rescinded the offer. So unbelievable. I can't that I cannot get over to this day. I cannot get over it. And God, do you feel terrible about that? So let's put the British royals up on the board because they could have given them asylum. Okay, I want to get two two more things up on the board. We should probably put uh, Lenin's brother because I think there was a, a, a taste for revenge. And I also want to put two more things. So what about the year 1905. It was just a terrible year. And I, you know, sometimes we're, we're living through 2020, which is looking to be a a difficult one too. So (laughs) why? I think. (laughs) Yeah. It's been such an incredible year. Awesome. So 1905, we've got the Japanese Russian war, which has ended in 1904 and they're dealing with the fallout. Then there's the first failed revolution. Uh, there's Bloody Sunday, which was thousands of workers were, were protesting poor working conditions and low salaries. They marched with a petition that, that they planned to bring to the Tsar at his winter palace. And then the soldiers fired at the protesters. And between, they believe, 200 people were killed, possibly upwards of 1,000 people were killed. Uh, then there were protests, there were strikes, and this was also the year that, the fateful year that they met Rasputin. So I feel like 1905, if that had been a wash, they would have like gotten away with a lot. Well, I also love that Tsar Nicholas always said, oh, he, there were just too many omens. Like there was a curse against them. It's like, no, you're an idiot. That's the problem. So annoying. I want to talk about these fake letters. Have you heard about these letters? Which letters? Okay, so while they were imprisoned, the president of the Ural Regional Soviet directed the smuggling of letters written in French into the house. These claimed to be by a monarchist officer seeking to rescue the family, but they were composed at the behest of the Cheka. These fabricated letters, along with the Romanov responses to them, written in... uh, either blank spaces or on the envelopes, provided the Central Executive Committee, the CEC, in Moscow with further justification to, quote, liquidate the imperial family. 
Yurovsky later observed that by responding to the faked letters, Nicholas had fallen into a hasty plan by us to trap him. He fell for it. Well, are you surprised? No. I mean, he's <laughs> I mean, he's got four brain cells, this guy. I feel like he spent a lot of time in front of the mirror just like like whisking, like playing with that long mustache. Mm-hmm. Like didn't read a book, didn't ask people about what they were doing. He just spent a lot of time like manicuring his like <laughs> eyebrows. I, I just, it kills me. It's like this guy, they just put your entire family in this dilapidated house in the middle of nowhere. There are guards everywhere. You know, they've, they closed off all the windows. You are in prison. Don't you see what's happening to you? <laughs> So is there anything else we want to put up on the board? I have one thing I'd like to put up. I would like to put a Fabergé egg up on the board. Oh, Because let me just, I'm on the Fabergé uh, website right now. And they are saying (laughs) that um, the Imperial Easter eggs, which is like a a very, um, it's a type of the eggs. The Imperial Easter eggs were created for the Russian Imperial family from 1885 to 1916 when the company was run by Peter Carl Fabergé. These creations are inextricably linked to the glory and tragic fate of the last Romanov family. They were the ultimate achievement of the renowned Russian jewelry house and must also be considered the last great commissions of objects d'art. Ten eggs were produced from 1885 to 1893 during the reign of Emperor Alexander III. Forty more were created during the rule of his dutiful son, Nicholas II. Two each year, one for his mother, the Dowager, the second for his wife. And I, so I think to me, the, the Fabergé egg represents the excess. What do you even do with those eggs? You look at them. <laughs> you know what they say, uh, just a, about if you want to topple an aristocracy, you've got to crack a few Fabergé eggs. <laughs> That's ah. what they all say. That was a bit of a stretch. That's what they all say. <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. I think okay. we can do it. Romanovs, who's responsible? Is it Nicholas II? Uh, is it Air Pressure? Um, Alexandra? Uh, Rasputin? German Roots? Lenin? Yakov Yurovsky? British Royals? Alexander Ulyanov? That's the brother of uh, Lenin. Uh, is it the year 1905? Fake Letters or Fabergé Egg? Well, I think off the bat, just right off the bat, we can take off the fake letters because uh, I think if it wasn't those letters, it would have been something else. Um, yeah, it was fade out complete before Exactly. That. And I think that, I don't know about you, but I think that the German roots, um, we can take that off the board because while it didn't help, uh, I, I think that they there was, the unrest would have been um, just equal if, let's say, it was an, an Italian princess or uh, a British princess, yeah, which she was technically British, half British. Okay. So the pressure to get an heir, Alexandra, Rasputin, Nicholas II, Lenin, ya- Yakov, I mean, he pulled the trigger, British royals, uh, they didn't help. Can we blame them? I mean, in a way, you can blame them yeah i think it's all goes down to czar nicholas Mm -hmm. he was the leader he's the one who should have changed the direction i don't know if he had the best set of circumstances for for him to understand the magnitude of what he needed to take over it was like this cataclysmic events that mixed with uh his new leadership role that he was totally unprepared for um, and he didn't have a supportive wife because she was so overwhelmed with her own fertility issues. And also she actually had no real voice. She had no power, no voice, even though she was a Royal, she didn't really have a voice. So I think the own onus always ends up going to Nicholas. He's the one who really screwed it up for everybody. He really did. He could have turned her, he needed a good crisis media manager <laughs> and he didn't have one. Yeah, the people who were on him, he didn't listen to. Yeah. Anyway, I think. I mean, I think you're right. I think we can take Alexandra off. I think that we can take the British royals off. I think that uh, the year 1905 it didn't help, but you know, wh- it's not going to be really satisfying to put a because year in jail. And, and there's always 1906. <laughs> so sorry, 1905. I would love to put 2020 in jail. But we'll find we'll find too. it. We'll find it. Me too. <laughs> um, the Fabergé egg. We're, well, let's keep that on. Um, Lenin, I, Rasputin. I think he didn't help, but I think we can take him off the list as well. Yeah. Um, air. The pressure to have an heir. I think that we can take that off of Alexandra. Mm. Um, so it leaves us with five. We've got Nicholas, Lenin, Yakov. Alexander, 
who is uh, Lennon's brother and the Fabergé egg. We have to remember that we have to figure out who we're going to give the big slap to as well. Okay. I think we can take Alexander Lennon's brother off the list. I think Lennon was a determined fellow. And if it wasn't Alexander, he would have figured something else to really care about. You know, I mean, the more I think about it, like I'd love to put Nicholas right in that jail, but I don't know. At the same time, he was so, he was so inept. I don't know. It just feels like there was way too much going on in the world. Like you would have to be so skilled to be able to take your, your sort of this sort of royal legacy and transition it in this time period. I don't know that mm-hmm. anybody could have done that. Yeah, because it, he had zero expertise. It was you needed almost like a Winston Churchill to navigate totally. this. I think I ha- I think we've missed putting something up on the board that is really important. Churchill? No. Um autocracy. Am I saying that correctly? Autocracy. The the idea that your family lineage can rule a country. Mm. Now, think about your own family. And I know that some of you are listening. I love you all. But as a whole, like we are not equipped. It's like Roger Clinton versus Bill Clinton. Absolutely. Agreed. Yeah. There was not a prayer in hell for this guy. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he didn't step up to the plate. That's for sure. But he Mm -hmm. also, he was just born. And we still have Lenin up on the board because there, a a part of me thinks it's so cruel the way he went about it. If we blame Lenin and we give autocracy the big slap, I think I think I think switch it. To me, I think we send either Nicholas or autocracy to jail, and Lenin gets the big slap. Amanda, I'm with you. Good. And do we like what do you think, Kate? Autocracy or Christopher? Nicholas. Or Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> what about Christopher? Hey, 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 hang on a second. How did well, I get here? I would say I would say Nicholas because I do think there are people throughout history who have been part of the monarchy. I, I, I call Elizabeth the first as an example who have been incredible leaders. Yeah. So just the the notion that just because you're part of an aristocracy means that you're inept isn't totally true. I agree with you. He could have stepped up to the plate. Or he could he have abdicated tools. earlier. I think it's settled. Lenin, you're getting the big slap. Nicholas II, you're going to the alarmist jail. But I feel bad about it because he was so hot. <laughs> well, that'll be well, good for the alarmist jail calendar, which we do every year. We do the alarmist... <laughs> The alarmist jail uh, calendar. He'll be January, right out in front. We'll sell. Yeah. We'll sell a lot I, of calendars. I, I want to see him in like a swimsuit with that handlebar mustache, <laughs> just rocking it. You can make that happen. After the Romanov family execution, according to historyofroyalwomen.com, the family was canonized as new martyrs on November first, nineteen eighty-one, by the Russian Orthodox Church abroad also included were the four servants who were murdered alongside them. Empress Alexandra's sister, Grand Duchess Elizabeth Feodorovna, who was murdered a day after her sister, was also canonized. On July 17, 1998, on the 80th anniversary of their deaths, Nicholas and his family were given a state funeral in St. Petersburg, attended by statesmen, diplomats, representatives of the Romanov family, and European nobility. 
for who you think is to blame by going to thealarmistpodcast.com. Follow us at the Alarmist the on Twitter, at the Alarmist Podcast on Instagram, or email us at thealarmistpodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week. We'll be talking about the disappearance of Amelia Earhart. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.